0: We focus tonight on the terrorist threat to the United States, and a special focus on our own community, Metro Chicago, some eight or nine million people, and many, many important institutions. Of course, uh, my and we focus on counterterrorism, as counterterrorist programs are pursued by many dedicated public servants. Three of whom are with us tonight as guests. They are. Robert Grant, who is the special agent in charge of the Chicago office of the FBI. He's been in that post since 2005, and he represents the FBI on the Chicago Joint Terrorism Task Force. The CTTF is an organization of which we will hear a great deal as we proceed tonight. Patrick Daly is a former uh, FBI agent and these days is the vice president of the Chicago Transit Authority's Security, Safety, and Control Center. He represents the CTA on the Chicago Joint Terrorism Task Force Executive Board. And our third guest is Earl Zelke, uh, Jr., who is Deputy Director of the Chicago Office of Emergency Management and Communications, former officer for a long time in the Chicago Police Department and in more recent years in his present post. Gentlemen, how does one uh, really characterize the terrorist threat to the United States these days, and more particularly to our own uh, large community? Rob Grant.
1: Well, I, I would say we, we have a terrorism threat. Um, uh, we've been fortunate in this country in that we're protected by two large oceans and uh, a community that, that I think, by and large, has been pretty responsible since 9-11. So there is still a threat here, uh, but the threat evolves and changes over time.
0: Let's get estimates on the very same question, responses to it, from our other
2: two guests before we go forward. Uh, Pat Daly. Well, certainly, we've had a terrorist threat in our country since 9-11, but before 9-11. And uh, the FBI and law enforcement agencies have um, have combated it um, for years since the 70s. And uh, I th- unfortunately, I think we'll continue to combat it uh, in my ch- children's generations and their children's generations. And. Earl Zelke.
3: and and what I think we have to remember is that we can't get overly focused when we're talking about terrorism to focus solely on on entities or individuals coming from foreign countries. I think the the, the reality of homegrown terrorists is is very much uh, something that we have to contend with. So we we have to make sure that we, you know, we 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 realize the full gamut of of no. you know the, the the threats we face.
0: Next to the destruction of the world. Trade Center on 9-11, I suppose, in modern time, the largest terrorist assault was the one in Oklahoma City, which was done by uh,
3: local homegrown terrorists. Local
0: homegrown terrorists. Right.
3: People with a political agenda <coughs> that sought to go after the government and, yeah. and individuals to further their cause.
0: I was asking, uh, just before the program began, I was asking of Rob Grant how many of the agents in the Chicago office of the FBI are dedicated in their work assignment to counterterrorism, and you said
1: about a, about a quarter, and a
0: quarter is a quarter
1: of a force of what size? Uh, about 465 agents. So a little over 100. So you've
0: got over 100 people who are working solely on
1: 100 agents. Uh, we also yeah. have uh, intelligence analysts, the vast majority of which are working counterterrorism. We also uh-huh. we also have language specialists, the vast majority of which are working counterterrorism. So you have to augment that figure with uh, non-agent personnel that are part of the infrastructure. Well, what
0: are they turning up, if one may ask?
1: Well, uh, uh, our mandate since 9-11 has been, unlike our, our our other disciplines in the FBI, where judgment is applied as to what investigations we will pursue and what we will not, that um, we are leave no stone unturned. That means every lead, no matter how um, uh, odd it may be, we, we will evaluate it and assess it as a risk. So we consume a lot of our resources. Um, Uh, proving things are not a terrorist threat. The vast majority of our cases prove no terrorist threat.
0: But does your office receive warning signals just about every day?
1: Yes. More than one, I'm sure. Uh, Every day we have uh, uh, quite a a number of leads that come in, either from the public uh, in what they Mm -hmm. see, other investigations, be they terrorism investigations, intelligence investigations, criminal investigations, or from our partners overseas or around the country.
0: Now, of course, as we talk about these matters tonight, there's a great deal that you can't, all three of you can't say. You don't, want, you, you don't want to give away anything that you know when uh, a process of investigation and possible prosecution is still in the works. But drawing upon what you can say, can you give me a sense of what came in, say, today at the
1: FBI office?
0: What sorts of things?
1: I was out sick today, so I couldn't tell you what <laughs> came in today. Take it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we get a, an assortment of things from overseas, for example, the war in uh, at Iraq. Uh, there are agents um, posted over there with the mm-hmm. military along with most of the other federal agencies that are exploiting terrorist hideouts, doing what traditional law enforcement does, exploiting the intelligence that's gathered when they grab a terrorist, such as address books, phone books, computers. So from
0: Iraq you may get cues or clues about possible terrorist undertakings in Chicago?
1: Yes. Same thing with Afghanistan. It's amazing what you'd find in a cave in Afghanistan where uh, bin Laden's uh, uh, people were holed up and the connections to the Chicagoland area.
0: Give me an example, if you can, of what sorts of things, what sort of warning you might get from Afghanistan.
1: Well, you might get uh, uh, somebody who's involved in building or uh, manufacturing and, uh, improvised explosive devices. Uh-huh. And the question then becomes if there is a connection between that individual and the Chicagoland community. Is that a... Is the association an association of terrorism purposes or is an association devoid of terrorism? It may be a relative. It doesn't know what the person's up to. So it, just because it's in the terrorist handbook or in the terrorist uh, address book, it doesn't mean, necessarily mean the person's a terrorist, but we have to evaluate that lead.
0: Now, Pat Daly's the top security guy for the Chicago Transit Authority. I want to put the same question to you. If you weren't at home being sick today, as I guess you weren't, or today or yesterday, what kind of material comes in? across your desk?
2: Well, every morning I um, get briefings uh, via email from the Department of Homeland Security and Mm -hmm. also from the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office, and I go through those, and most of uh, that I get is uh, dedicated to transit and what happens (coughs) around the country and around the world as as far as possible uh, threats to transit.
0: And you hear of such threats just about every day, do you?
2: Oh, yes. Yes, certainly. And um, it's most of it is suspicious activity that, as Rob said, that has to be checked out and not um, very seldom is it uh, geared to the Chicago area. But occasionally we do have suspicious occurrences that uh, we work with the police departments around the the city because we serve suburban departments. Well, what would be
0: one such suspicious uh, occurrence bearing upon the safety of the CTA that's come across your desk or your screen? in recent days well many
2: times we get uh, folks who want to take pictures of our, uh-huh. our rail facilities or our trains and why most, are they taking those most pictures? of them have an interest in in trains some of them are architectural students that mm-hmm. we found but we still check th- those folks out and uh, make sure that they're not there trying to uh, get the intelligence data to uh, do a subsequent attack
0: Similar question to Earl Zilke, what comes across your desk or screen?
2: Well, we review a lot of the similar information. Obviously, some
3: our security levels are somewhat different, so we might not have access to some of the information that the FBI does. But I do review a lot of the similar documents that Pat made reference to as far as transportation-related mm-hmm. intelligence. And and, and and keep in mind, that the, one of the realities that's, t- that's taken mm-hmm. place Uh, substantially since September 11th is the the coordination and cooperation and sharing of information between various levels of government and different agencies as opposed and I know I'm I'm, kind of generalizing this that in the old days agencies had a tendency to operate autonomous from one another and that's very much not the case now that it, it, it we all realize the reality of sharing information because a bit of what I receive might have some relevance to something that pat and the cta hears about and other agencies so it's by sharing this information across government lines that allows us many times to put the dots together and i think that's one of the earlier questions you asked you know it relates to you know how do we how do we stop terrorist you know attacks and that's basically through intelligence before the fact of course we remember that the
0: 9 11 commission as it uh, investigated what had gone wrong on that day came to the conclusion that not all the dots were put together that in fact some of the important agencies were not in proper communication with one another and not sharing the relevant information so that's been a major theme i know in american counter-terrorist operations since 9-11 we've got to get all the agencies properly coordinated have we achieved that
1: uh, you'll never achieve perfection because it gets complicated. Uh, inside the United States, I think there's been a, a great level of achievement in terms of sharing information. But this is a worldwide phenomenon. Sharing information with our partners around the world, some of whom have viewed terrorism a little bit differently than we do. Uh, sharing that information is, is, with their different views of their information, is different. So there's been a, a, a great expansion in terms of sharing intelligence and sharing information. But it also has revealed uh, how complex the world can become or how complex the world is. Some countries view Hamas not as a terrorist organization, but the United States does. And so sharing information on people who are suspected of involvement with Hamas uh, can be difficult sometimes with other countries.
0: Gentlemen, in my comparative youth, but as a social psychologist, which is my discipline, I did some work in the area of strategic studies, particularly when I served fairly briefly on the staff at the Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island. As you know, a central tenet of strategic theory as it was developed in the post-war years was what is sometimes called uh, strategic theory and worst-case analysis Uh, try to imagine and use all your intelligence and all your uh, your analytic skills to develop scenarios for the worst things that might happen and then the proper and prudent response is to prepare to meet those threats or to scotch those threats before they can be mounted. Uh, When we return from some commercials which are due at this instant, I want to ask you what, if you do worst-case analysis, what do you worry about most about terrorism and how it might show up in and what kind of damage it might do in the metro, in the Chicago metro area? We return directly to Rob Grant, Pat Daly, and Earl Zelke after these words. We are talking tonight about Potential terrorist threats in major American communities, including most particularly our own community. And we're talking about counter terrorist operations uh, to try to stop those threats before they manifest or to adapt to them if they do occur. My guests are Rob Grant, who is the man in charge of the Chicago office of the FBI, uh, and uh, Pat Daly, who is uh, the man in charge of security for the Chicago Transit Authority, and Earl Zelke Jr., who is the deputy director of the Chicago office of emergency management and communications. Gentlemen, in one paper I picked up today, just off the internet, uh, the author lists the uh, potential threats for terrorism elsewhere in the world or right here in the United States. And here's his long list. Explosives, hijacking, nuclear devices, uh, radiation, biological agents, chemical agents, water contamination, Air contamination, kidnapping, hostages, assassinations, suicide missions, riots—that is the uh, the stimulation of riots, obviously. Arson, facility takeover, disruption of vital services, computer and information systems tampering, internet and World Wide Web tampering. Does that pretty well cover it?
2: No, I think you could uh, go on with that. Anything. What that, else would you add? Oh, anything that would inspire fear and cause people to change their lives. Oh.
0: The purpose of terrorism is to generate terror, is it?
2: To generate terror for a purpose, and their purpose is normally political to gain their their goals. So there are yet other ways to generate terror in a community like ours. What would they they
3: be? Well, I mean, the the topics you covered are a fairly wide range of of types of activities that might take place. I mean, you know, uh, some of them, although... Plausible are not really that probable. I mean, not every everything you listed there is as easily accomplishable as other things are. Obviously, so you have to also weigh the you know the risk potential of those various types of, of attacks that we're talking about to determine you know what what is the most probable. Well, let's look at one that almost happened. This is an FBI case
0: from just last year. A young man up in Rockford, Illinois, a convert to Islam, I think, or was he? born to Islam, convert. It's a convert, um, decided that he would uh, he would acquire a bunch of hand grenades and explode them in a major shopping mall in that area. And you guys, the FBI, got onto it. And without going into the details of how you got onto it, you, uh, uh, he was trading to get the grenades from somebody who turned out, of course, to be an FBI agent in disguise or somebody working for or with the FBI so he was apprehended as he was making that trade he was trading some speakers he had for four hand grenades and a pistol I believe he was arrested he's not yet I think been tried and we don't mean to say anything more about that case but if someone pulled something like that off and exploded hand grenades in four or five locations in an American shopping mall what would be the result in terms of the generation of terror
1: well Mill, let me just at least correct one impression. It, although the FBI has uh, ownership of the of the Joint Terrorism Task Force, the Joint Terrorism Task Force has a lot of other agencies, in that particular case <coughs> involved uh, AT- an ATF undercover agent, uh-huh. Chicago Police Department officers, Illinois State Police officers. It was a, it was a team effort, and that's what it's focused it on. It just FBI. Sure, right. Um, I think uh, in today, with the media as it is, as competitive as it is, and how quickly it responds to incidents. Uh, if we went back 50 years ago, we wouldn't have the same level of um, angst. Angst and the media, the media, the way it's structured today, how quickly it moves, uh, they is, magnify the. It effect, magnifies the effect around the world. Yeah. A, a terrorism incident that occurs uh, in London uh, subway station uh, is known to us within an hour of the attack.
0: It makes people nervous on the CTA, I suppose,
2: and uh, not just the CTA, but in transit in general around the world. Sure. Yeah, one of the things that came out of the London attacks
1: was uh, uh, the the major city police chiefs of police uh, in the United States uh, want information faster. For example, when when they hear about what happened in London. Los Angeles um, and other cities are wondering how do they respond? What, how much information can the FBI or the intelligence community share with them as to the type yeah. of device, the type of method?
0: But i go work. back to the small or middle-sized American city, Rockford. If those grenades had exploded in that shopping center in Rockford, what would the consequences have been for life in and around Rockford
3: in following days? I'm sure it would have been in a substantial amount of turmoil and 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 and, and, con- and concern and fear. If I were a parent. Of a kid going to
0: public school in rockford i wouldn't send the kid the next day
3: well i mean a, and a lot of these things are personal choice but a lot of these personal choices we hope can be influenced by rational decisions and information provided by government
1: the terrorists win when they affect our behavior and mm-hmm. and that's one thing it's 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 a puts us in a double-edged sword as a parent would i want to send my child to school but by the same token do i want to show that kind of res- do i want to show some resolve in the face of terrorism um, I think that's, that's the impact. Now, th- certainly the media quotient in Rockford would go up because the entire world's media would descend on uh, yeah. the city of Rockford.
2: And probably other shopping centers in the area would close down. Most probably, but, um, you know, we're, we're not faced with that in this country on a day-to-day basis, so our initial responses would be probably one of fear and, as you say, maybe keep our family members uh, in the house and hiding. Yet in Baghdad,
0: they face this every day. In
2: Baghdad, and if you look at the response in Israel um, to the bombings that they have, they um, do the crime scene as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. and restore life back to normal.
0: So it's possible that a community or a whole nation can accommodate to terrorist activity?
2: Well, they accommodate, but uh, they also defend themselves.
3: Sure, as they must.
2: Well look at the response after
3: September eleventh. I mean, you know, that was a horrific incident that took place. It it, it affected a, a large part of New York City, but it also to some extent helped galvanize, you know, at least for a period of time, you know, the population of the United States. And it led among other things to our invasion of
0: Afghanistan and later our invasion of Iraq. Well that's <laughs> Well one doubt that's, doubts that's, that's open little... for
3: discussion, sure.
0: One doubts that would have happened if 9-11 hadn't happened in advance. Uh, I well remember a particularly odd and surreal scene in New York. Giuliani was still the mayor after 9-11, and within a month or so after the event, he mobilizes what looked like 500 Broadway stars or uh, actors from the musical theater and other things, and there's a great big scene that's staged in which he's out on Broadway with them He's in the front ranks, and they're singing whatever song it was to indicate that New York is still open, it's still a great entertainment capital of the world, and come to New York. Do you remember that?
2: Well, th- certainly um, the New Yorkers, as Errol said, res- responded to the attack saying that we're not changing our lives. We're going back, and we're going to fight this, and they are in this country, is in other countries in the world are.
0: But look, uh, we, uh, we don't want to give away any possible scenarios that terrorists can potential terrorists can now put into action but everyone for example is quite aware of the possibility that you could get a nuclear weapon either a really a real nuclear weapon a nuclear warhead or bomb and explode it in an american city or you get a dirty bomb which doesn't do a full explosion but which generates radiation and either one will kill uh, thousands and would generate an awful lot of terror uh, in the area and possibly in all the country Uh, And we know that al-Qaeda is after nuclear warheads. And we know that there are some nuclear warheads that might be available on the international black market, so to speak, sold by renegade former Soviet generals who may have their hands on it, or perhaps even uh, sold by somebody in Pakistan or somebody in North Korea, whether a government or an individual rogue agent. So that it's not inconceivable that a nuclear weapon could wind up on the streets of Chicago and could be detonated. Now that won't be just like the threat to blow up, to ignite a few grenades in a uh, shopping center. That would be a major catastrophe. How do we prevent it? And if it happens despite all prevention attempts, how do we adapt to it?
1: Well, uh, you're talking about the low probability but 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 high okay. tariff ratio. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The in our lifetimes, we've seen Uh, Educated scientists such as Dr. Khan in Pakistan actually proliferate uh, nuclear weapons in the hands of people that we would prefer them not to have nuclear weapons. And I think we're more likely to see that in the future as more and more countries seek nuclear weapons, the likelihood goes up. If AQ
0: Khan were still in operation, he might very well have provided such a weapon to al-Qaeda. Correct.
1: I don't, uh, the, the the best defense against it is uh, worldwide resolve against the proliferation of nuclear weapons and accountability for nuclear weapons, but also effective sharing of intelligence. That's that, that, that's really the only way to um, frustrate those efforts. Make the worst case. Suppose it actually
0: happened, and happened in Chicago. And I know that scenarios have been worked out as to how many would be killed, what the long-range consequences would be. Could this community go on functioning if? There had been, say, a nuclear dirty bomb uh, released, killing thousands in the loop and uh, knocking out all sorts of institutions.
1: Well, before I I let the city respond, I will say the one positive uh, outcome of 9-11 is business and government alike looked at their ability to continue to operate Mm -hmm. in the event of a disaster. And um, I think most major businesses, most major government infrastructure, uh, now have plans in place if they have to evacuate or if they lose critical infrastructure where they're going to r- relocate
3: I mean we, we've we've been stressing with the private sector as well as government the need to develop to develop continuity of government and continuity of operation plans so in the event something not just nuclear related but you know any kind of major catastrophe or incident that might take place that you can you know continue to operate albeit not in the same location or to the same level, but, you know, life does go on, and it has to continue.
0: Well, you, Earl, of course, are the deputy director of the Chicago Office of Emergency Management and Communications, so your outfit has surely developed plans for how you, what you do the day after if such an event occurs. What well, do you do?
3: It's it's not just our plans. It's making sure that that you know individuals, people. Let's it, yeah. start at the, at the most simple, basic level. You know, one of our ma- missions is to make sure that people understand. You know what you know. Personal preparedness. You know the issue of, of of making a plan with your family. Have you know, uh, uh, you know stockpiling certain items that you may need to be self-sufficient for a period of time. So, you know, you can start at that most basic level of the individual and the family and then build up to, you know, to larger levels of of corporations and companies and governments and things of that nature.
0: One scenario I've seen with regard to dirty bombs suggests that uh, wherever a dirty bomb is exploded, uh, the whole area for, say, a mile radius around it, or maybe it's half a mile, essentially has to close down for months or for years. If you did that in the loop, you'd have to knock out most of the institutions in the loop. How would you adapt to that?
3: Well, I'm not. I'm, unfortunately, I'm not a, a nuclear uh, technician, so I, I can't answer that with any degree of, of, uh, of technicality. But, but again, it, it it goes to the issue of developing plans and developing relationships and coordination between levels of government, and and from the private sector. Uh, I mean, not just our office, emergency management, but uh, all these different. Government entities that 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 exist coordinate quite closely with with you know the private sector and, and individuals. I guess
0: it begins to sound to me like what to do the day after a major terrorist event, which knocks out a good portion of a city's operations, uh, is an almost unbearable question. And therefore, what becomes all the more important is to see to it that there's no day after ever occurs. Correct. That we Correct. Uh, catch these things and prevent them before they happen. So we have to talk after. Uh, we pause in just a moment as to what is being done to ferret out all such possible terrorist plans and to catch the uh, the uh, criminals or the uh, the warriors uh, who are warring against us and apprehend and stop them so that the planned event does not occur whether it's a major bombing with nuclear or with chemical or biological material in a downtown area, or whether it's all the other kinds of disruption that might be undertaken. We will return directly in discussion of such preventive procedures or such preventive programs uh, with Rob Grant, Pat Daly, and Earl Zulke right after an update on the evening's news. We all agree that the best cure of something nearly fatal is prevented from happening. That's true in the medical model. It's true certainly also in the counterterrorist model. So I put this basic question to Rob Grant, Special Agent in Charge of the Chicago Office of the FBI, uh, Pat Daly, Vice President of the Chicago Transit Authority uh, of their Security, Safety, and Control Center, and Earl Zilke, Deputy Director of the Chicago Office of Emergency Management and Communications. To all three of you, I put this basic question. After 9-11, what have we accomplished to increase intelligence, increase our vigilance, and thus to increase our capacity to prevent terrorist assault, even as the terrorist intention against us has mounted in the world, as Islamic fundamentalist jihadist rage against the United States has constantly increased.
3: Well, but basically what we've done, in, in 25 words or less, we've increased our coordination, our cooperation, our communication across, as I said before, all lines of government and into the private sector.
0: Exemplify that. What have we done along those lines? Uh,
3: well, well, you know, the... Rob made mention of the Joint Terrorism Task Force in, in the state of Illinois. There, there, there are numerous work groups and task force and and and, and you know agencies coming together to share intelligence and information, to coordinate their activities, um, to look at you know re- conducting risk assessments of vulnerable p- facilities, to look at developing mitigation strategy for reducing those vulnerabilities you know, to making sure that, you know, response pr- plans and procedures are in place. So there are a lot of activities that, are, that have and are taking
2: place continuously.
3: And
0: you you all this,
2: this uh, occurred before 9-11, I- at least in the Chicago area, and I think Chicago has been ahead of the curve. Uh, when I became an agent back in 1982, I was assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force, which had been in, in existence for a couple years, and it included the Chicago FBI office, Secret Service, Illinois State Police, Chicago Police, and some other groups, and Isn't it that, began getting bigger over the years. That's a
0: curious and a very important point, Pat. What kind of terrorism were we worried about back in the early 1980s? Well,
2: it was domestic terrorism. <laughs> the international terrorism really wasn't spreading on our shores. What other domestic than terrorist
0: events had already occurred?
2: Well, if you recall from the 70s, we had the the uh, white leftist ra- radicals. We had eco-terrorism, you know, and we had the. Uh, black separatists, we had the Puerto Rican separatists, Mm -hmm. so it was home-based and domestic as opposed to uh, an international um, threat to us.
0: The uh, Puerto Rican terrorists tried to shoot up Congress one day. Well, they did. I guess that counts as a terrorist activity.
2: They did, and if you recall, back in the 70s. The, tried to kill the president tried to kill well. President right. Truman, I believe. Right. Yeah. And back in the 70s here in Chicago, we had a series of bombings um, by them. FALN. In FALN, and they yeah. tried to gain the independence of Puerto Rico through Some violence. Some of them
0: were apprehended up in Evanston, as
2: I remember. They were. There was a group apprehended, and they were planning either to commit a uh, kidnapping or, or a uh, Armored car robbery at the time. You
3: know, you know, uh, Pat can elaborate, we re- elaborate more on. You know, we're talking about domestic terrorism, and and there was an individual called Dr. Chaos, that is another g- good example
2: of a you know a, a local, you know, homegrown terrorist. I don't
0: remember that. Who is he?
2: Uh, go on, Pat. It was an individual named Kanopka who came to Chicago from Wisconsin. He was a self-proclaimed anarchist who uh, was responsible for several arsons of electrical substations up in Wisconsin came down here, um, was recruiting young folks over the Internet to do burglaries um, to gain money. Um, they were doing a lot of burglaries at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and um, they, were, um, they were apprehended by the uh, UIC police, and at the time, uh, Kanopka led the police to a the Chicago police and the Joint Terrorism Task Force and the UIC police, to a stash of uh, potassium cyanide that he had um, located in the uh, CTA subway.
0: About the Chicago Joint Terrorism Task Force, you say that's existed since the early 1980s, and there are many similar such task forces around the country. How do they actually operate? Uh, I I imagine sometimes major players sit around a table and have meetings.
1: Uh, We have (laughs) uh, uh, virtually from local, state, federal, intelligence agencies, um, Department of Defense, uh, they're co-located to bring their particular expertise, their knowledge of the communities, their 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 skills and their and their intelligence to the table uh, to focus on uh, identifying threats, neutralizing those threats. <clears throat> they now exist in all the field offices of the FBI, um, and uh, everybody that participates in it um, uh, receives a top secret security clearance, which is a burden to us. To a great degree because it takes a long time to get those clearances but once people join the joint terrorism task force the commitment that's made by the city the the uh, state and other federal agencies they get access to information they otherwise would not have access to they get top secret information uh, from around the world and we work as a team um,
0: all right now you're a leading member of that chicago uh, right. joint terrorism task force as the head of the fbi office in chicago what can you tell us and i know that you can not tell us all that you know what can you tell us about uh, a typical day's activity uh, in the operation of the task force itself what kinds of material comes their way what kinds of actions are what kinds of further investigations are undertaken what kinds of actions are taken
1: well there's there there are six different teams as part of the joint terrorism task uh-huh. force some of them have a long term objective focused on different parts of the world so their knowledge may be focused on south asia um, the asian countries and the, and the uh, terrorist threats that may emanate from that part of the world, operating in <laughs> Chicago, <but clears throat> right,
0: pursuing that focus.
1: Yeah, one one of the things we've we've really focused in on since nine eleven is uh, understanding events around the world how they impact the communities here. Chicago is, is probably one yeah. of the most diverse communities uh, in the country. Terrorists have always come to the United States to raise money uh, long before nine eleven because there are sympathetic uh, ethnic groups here. So who's in?
0: Who's coming into Chicago from Indonesia to raise money for the jihadist group based in Jakarta?
1: Uh, you 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 have uh, uh, in this city uh, people who are either affiliated with sympathetic sure. to or financially supporting uh, groups overseas uh, from the Middle East to Asia to, to Europe uh, used to what, be for
0: the IRA uh,
1: correct uh, we used to have a very focused effort on the IRA here in yeah. Chicago we've diminished that effort here uh, with with uh, uh, the peace talks over there but but uh, Chicago has played a significant role in putting uh, some of the most uh, vicious terrorists of Northern Ireland in jail.
0: So that's one of six groups that you run. What are the other five?
1: Uh, w- well, uh, there's one that's a terrorism preparedness team. That mm-hmm. They specialize, as, as Pat is, it's where the bomb technicians are, the ha- hazardous materials uh, response teams uh, are, weapons of mass destruction experts are. Uh, they also participate on the Joint Hazardous Assessment Team, which is a team mm-hmm. comprised of uh, Chicago Fire Department, uh, Department of Energy, um, uh, National Guard specialized components, and others that that go to and participate in major events in the city that are deemed higher-risk ventures to uh, assess, evaluate, and detect uh, chemical, biological radiological disbursements and they are usually not seen by the crowd but uh, for example the the, the, um, World Series last year uh, or uh, 2005 (coughs) they participated there they participate uh, in all the major events. Just
0: holding everything under scrutiny.
1: Yeah they're out there looking to see if they can detect things uh, (laughs) in the air uh, and in other places and then Mm -hmm. they assess it based on the skill sets they have on the team. Very effective operation. And yet
0: other groups do what?
1: Um, well, each group is, is, in this Joint Terrorism Task Force, each group is focused on different parts of the world uh-huh. uh, so they can understand and become an expert on a part of the world and how it impacts uh, here in Chicago, the communities of Chicago. So uh, one team focuses on uh, the Levant, uh, those communities which are highly represented here in the Chicago community, and what events may be taking place over there <laughs> they could focus in on.
0: There was a famous cartoon years ago in the F... Uh, in... Uh, the new yorker magazine of a little uh, supposedly communist cell meeting in sort of a dingy basement room and the comrade who's standing up there talking to seven or eight other comrades sitting there looking rather depressed is saying um, comrades secret agents of the fbi and anyone else who's here uh, and then he addresses them uh, is one to assume should one not assume and you won't confirm this but still i'll voice the suspicion that there is FBI and, more generally, counterterrorist penetration of groups that are worrisome?
1: I would say that there are some groups that have been penetrated by us, but we still operate under the Constitution and the laws. So w- there are restrictions on what we can and cannot do based on the Constitution. So um, there are people that we have under surveillance in this country that we know want to do us harm, that are planning to do us harm, uh, but we do not have uh, the legal authority to uh, remove them or to jail them so it becomes a um, a surveillance operation in an effort to disrupt their activity Um, and that those are going on around the country
0: in London in some mosques in London uh, the uh, imam stands up and uh, on almost every Friday delivers a sermon in which he calls for either the takeover of England and the establishment of uh, of the Ummah in England and the establishment of Sharia law and where possible and where necessary, let us kill the English who are in our way. Uh, that is closely scrutinized by New Scotland Yard and lots of other organizations. And in recent times, they've kicked out three or four such imams. They've, ex- they've expelled them from England. Might one assume that there is similar surveillance of certain possibly jihadist-leaning mosques even in the Chicago area?
2: Well, <laughs> certainly, uh, certainly the Brits have been targeted directly, and they have different laws that uh, they've applied in response to yeah. Irish terrorism and now in response to uh, jihadist terrorism. Um, we, the, the law enforcement groups in the United States, still are, are abiding by the present laws that we have, and freedom of speech is certainly uh, uh, looked at as uh, what we need to protect. And um, it, yes, people can decry the government can, um, you know, it, it, but when they be, go beyond the speech and into action, that's where law enforcement can intervene.
0: But when they advocate killing, which merely advocates standing in a pulpit rather than picking up weapons and using them, are they still free to do that?
1: Yes, they can. We have people on the internet that advocate the killing of people all the time. I mean, we even have entertainers that advocate the killing of people yeah. and nothing happens to them. Uh, it's one of the things that protects uh, mm-hmm. The radical views is also one of the things that they most dislike about the United States. Freedom of speech is the one thing that uh, almost all of them hold in, in in contempt. They don't like freedom of speech. They don't like what they see in our broadcasts, in our entertainment industry. They think it pollutes our children. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of parents feel the same way. But we stand by the freedom of speech in this country. Uh, that is also what protects some of the hateful speech, not only in the Islamic world and uh, Islamic radicals here in the United States, but also other people that practice hate speech that are, have oh, nothing yes. to do with the Islamic world.
0: Yeah. There are organizations, you can find them on the Internet, who advocate killing all the Jews.
1: Well, one of the things we've been focusing in on is uh, how the, the Internet has, has is being used as a tool uh, so effectively by al-Qaeda and others to radicalize people without people knowing about it. Uh, you can go on the Internet today and you can find uh, terrorist videos, training manuals, you can uh, get propaganda to get you spiritually in tune with what you need to do. You can also get um, uh, how, how to acquire uh, uh, the tools to make a, a weapon, how to, how to use the weapon, and how to spot um, a law enforcement intelligence agencies. So the, the jihadist websites have gone from, I think, under 50 to over 4,000 now. Um, and that's one of the things up in Toronto that they found amongst those, the youth up there was they were radicalizing right under the nose of their, their own parents and their own clergy. Um, and we've seen the radicalization process that it's not a long, drawn-out process. We've seen people go from c- convert uh, to suicide bomber I- inside of six months. So it's a much smaller period of time in which you have to find this uh, threat mm-hmm. and neutralize it.
0: Another breeding ground is not only... Uh... The backyards of, uh, say, D- Dearborn, but uh, the back areas of uh, major state prisons around the country, where indeed there's a great deal of uh, proselytization pulling people not only into Islam, but into uh, extremist, fundamentalist, jihadist versions of Islam, and training those prisoners to undertake terrorist attack once they get out of prison. And I gather there was at least one case in California where such a cell was.
1: Uncovered. Yeah, we had a cell in a, in a state prison system where uh, uh, converts uh, to the Islamic faith uh, uh, who were not a threat to the institutional guards, who were primarily interested in violence inside the institution, threats to other inmates or threats to themselves, they converted to Islam, they learned Arabic, they organized, uh, they prayed, and, and from the perspective of the institution, they were they were not a threat, and therefore they left them alone. But what they were doing the entire time was, was proselytizing uh, a radical jihadist, uh, attitude. And they left, as they left the institution, that became uh, a campaign of robbing gas stations, systemically robbing gas stations, to acquire the means by which they could buy the weapons to attack military recruiting stations and, um, and mosques. And it was discovered through a tip of intelligence. Uh, a local law enforcement officer picked up a cell phone at a, at a gas station, and what we thought was a, a group of individuals just doing gas station stick ups was really a much more dastardly plot.
0: Is there anything like that happening locally, say, whether in Cook County Jail or down in Statesville and in Joliet?
1: I mean,
3: I can't say specifically if something like that is happening. As I mentioned before, I spent 14 years in the Gang Crimes Unit yeah. earlier in my career, and and what you see taking place in prisons is kind of an evolution about what has gone on in the, in those environments. Obviously, you're you're in a closed environment with with you know individuals who have a propensity to do you know violent things. And in that environment, it, it, it's easy for, you can see how individuals can turn anti-authority or anti-government. And in the in the past, early on, in the 80s, when, when you saw the uh, the uh, emergence of organized street gangs, you know, what we see now as far as, you know, as far as terrorist, you know, growing people is just kind of an evolution of what has taken place in prisons, you know, f- over decades.
2: And, you know, after 9-11, um... The FBI director asked that senior management go out and visit the mosque and visit community groups and assure people who practice Islam that uh, we weren't targeting them and to request their assistance. And in one mosque I, I went there and I talked to the folks and they had legitimate concerns of uh, possible retaliation. And these are people like all of us. They, they're concerned about their families. And Islam is a religion of peace just like all religions are. But there was a um, individual there who was um, a, a, an American, American born, um, not of a, a convert, and he was very radical. And later on, I had some folks come up to me after the uh, talk was over, saying that they were actually afraid of him.
0: Well, in my father's house are many mansions, uh, the New Testament tells us, and that's true in the House of Islam mm-hmm. as well as in the House of Christianity, I'm sure uh, we are due for a quick round of commercials and then shortly a newscast, and then we will return in full force. And we return to conversation with Rob Grant, who is the special agent in charge of the Chicago office of the FBI, with Pat Daly, former FBI operative, who is now vice president of the Chicago Transit Authority, where he is in charge of security, safety, and their control center, and Earl Zelke, Jr., who is deputy director of the Chicago office, Of emergency management and communications all three of these gentlemen obviously deeply involved in uh, the scrutiny of potential terrorists and in counter-terrorist preparations and operations and of course you're not just focused on the chicago area because you're interacting with similar people all over the country and i gather elsewhere in the world so if globalization has occurred it's occurred in this specialty, surely?
1: Well, it's not just this specialty. We also see it in uh, criminal activities. I mean, globalization's had a yeah. tremendous impact not only in the world of terrorism, but also in the world of criminal enterprises and things like that. Mm-hmm. More and more, probably a high percentage of our investigations now involve some foreign nexus uh, some way, shape, or form. Uh, we have 62 offices around the world outside the United States where FBI agents are deployed. That's a, a vast network of information sharing with law enforcement and intelligence agencies around the world, which serves us in this in this world of counterterrorism very well.
0: Have you ever yourself actually uh, been assigned to one of those foreign offices?
1: No, I've inspected them,
0: huh. but I've not been assigned to one. Gentlemen, uh, you know that a very common speculation is... Uh, what well, we hear from lots of sources is uh, speculation offered as a prediction, namely that inevitably there will be another 9-11. Whether it happens this year or five years from now, they're going to continue trying and somebody will get through. And it will be a major catastrophic event, equal to or or greater than what happened on that particular date in New York City.
3: I mean, I don't think there are any absolutes in this world. I was about I- to ask
0: you whether you agree with that as a prediction
3: well, and my, my what I was trying to 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 state was that I don't think there's an absolute we cannot get we can't guarantee that something like that might might not take place. But you know what we can do is 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 you know renew our efforts and continue our efforts, you know to try to minimize that those occurrences from taking place. and and I, I keep going back mm-hmm. to my earlier statements as far as, the uh, the level of cooperation that's taking place between government agencies to try to you know minimize the the possibility of an event like that occurring
0: still is it a reasonable speculation that it probably will sooner
1: or later occur i think it's inevitable uh, you do
0: think it's inevitable yeah. yeah and it will be a major one
1: i don't know that it'll be a major one i know that al qaeda continues to focus on a spectacular attack against the united states um, that's why it's important to get into uh, al-Qaeda, which is changed from a very hierarchical structure to a more flat structure, but it's rebuilding in in Pakistan right now. So we still remain very focused on al-Qaeda and al-Qaeda's threats and their desire to attack the United States. We are still a principal target for uh, Muslim radicals for what we represent, who we support, our policies, any number of, uh, of grievances they may have. So so long as we remain a focus of a, a, a an enterprise that has a deadly ambition, mm-hmm. um, we can do everything we can. But we're never, you know, we're never going to be 100%. We're going to do the best job we can, and we've we've <laughs> been successful. Knock on wood, up to this point.
0: Rob, uh, a, a basic question put in uh, non-diplomatic terms, put it to you directly, whether you can answer sure. it or not fully. Um, is it the case that we've got agents, FBI, and working for other organizations as well, out there in the world, tracking al-Qaeda agents, capturing them, killing them, and or, and if not killing them, taking them captive and putting them into extended interrogation.
1: I don't think we have FBI agents doing that. But we have agents doing that. Uh, I wouldn't want to speculate on what's going on in the rest of the world, but the intelligence services, it's one of those areas where we try not to talk too much about what they do in the dark and night, and sometimes what they do in the dark and night is, uh, is, is save America in some yeah. way, shape, or form.
0: I would assume we've got special forces of one kind or another d- doing that very work, doing it this very night.
1: I think the military, uh, aside from the war in Iraq and the war in Afghanistan, is is so taxed now, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I think they've been more taxed now than at any point in their history.
0: Um, Pat Daly, well, add
1: whatever you want to that,
0: that well, phase of the conversation.
2: Well, I, I know that um, each country has to defend themselves and they, when the uh, enemy will is willing to kill women, children, and the weak and the non-combative, then they have to defend themselves strongly. and they and they are. Um, here in Chicago, I think we're ahead of the curve again because we, as Earl brought up, we know each other. We trust each other, the different agencies, and we exchange information. And we've gone through, um, you know, special events such as the 1994 World Cup, the 1996 um, Democratic Convention. We've established an Office of Emergency Management and Communication that was state-of-the-art and still is state-of-the-art in the U.S. where federal, state, and local agencies can have a joint operation center and, um, in, for special events or for any types of threats and manage it in a uh, coordinated format. And that has uh, put us. Uh, we're we're now being studied not only from other cities within the United States, but from other countries. We've we've had a number of visits within the last couple of months at our office,
3: and it, it was from different branches of the military, who were sent there to look at our, our you know technology and our and specifically our Joint Operations Center, as as Pat mentioned, and. You know he's right that, that this is I think one of one of the areas where we lead in.
0: Well, you you've made mention of that. A few, each of you has a few times tonight. Just what has been accomplished in terms of technology? What is the actual
2: technological level that you now have achieved, and what does it make possible? Well, we have redundant communication um, both on radio and using telephones and and satellites. We have a system mm. of uh, mm. cameras within the city, and in different agencies, <coughs> um, and non governmental agencies as well that provide a network that can be used for surveillance purposes, be it for a special event, be it for a, a natural disaster, we can do that, and we can have real-time um, both um, radio and telephone communication as well as visual television communication. What what Pat's talking about is the city's initiative called Operation Virtual Shield, mm-hmm. where we're
3: expanding the fiber optic network throughout the city. We're integrating... Various um, external uh, video sources from from various government agencies and private corporations, and we're linking them together to try to expand our ability to you know conduct you know video technology. Well, give me an example of how that operates. Make up a case if you want,
0: just to illustrate it. What is observed over what television screen? And well, that's sent to human what follows
3: okay there i'll upon? give you a good example the, the today and tomorrow the uh, u.s olympic committee is in town yes. talking to chicago about our bid for the 2016 olympics um we're able to knowing their itinerary tomorrow where they're going to be going at their various venues throughout the city where we are able to to feed in cameras that we have at locations to monitor and, and and oversee and anticipate, you know, the movements of that committee. Now, you know, are we concerned that something might take place? No, but you're asking what we have the ability to do. So we can, we can, But know, somebody's monitoring
0: those, uh, those television screens closely and checking out any possible dangers that may show up.
3: It is possible, yes. I mean, we can't monitor thousands of cameras continuously. Yeah, you know that involves the the, the incorporation of intelligence software and things like that. But we do have the ability to call up in that network of cameras, you know, based on what we need to to ascertain and, and view. Do people in your line of work in the Chicago
0: area sometimes um, stand at the receiving end of communications from official spokesmen or unofficial? self-elected spokesman for the Muslim community of the area, saying you are being Islamophobic, you are persecuting us, uh, you have no right to distrust us as much as you do. Is that
1: heard? Um, I, you know, I've been here for two years and I spend an awful lot of time inside the Muslim community Mm -hmm. um, uh, to try and reassure them that we, we, we do make a distinction between terrorists and the vast majority of the Muslim people. Um, unfortunately, the the intelligence that we pick up, uh, the complaints that we get, the things that drive us into the community, force us into the community, and it, 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 in their perspective becomes a focus on the community. It's, they're very sensitive to that issue, uh, I understand that, uh, but we're going to follow the intelligence where it takes us. And if it takes us to the community, we have to be there, but what I try to assure them that we operate under the law and uh, we operate under the Constitution and uh, we're trying to reassure them that not only are we there to find the terrorists and extract them but also to protect them against people that may do them harm as a result of retaliation or um, uh, but
0: still do you receive a fair number of complaints of the sort that i've been imagining yeah and uh, so that's the response you make
1: yeah they, there's a there's a sensitivity as to being profiled at the airports at at uh, mm. profiled in their uh, attempts to get uh, citizenship uh travel Uh, things like that, and uh, it's a constant worry, it's a constant concern, it's something that in our outreach efforts uh, we have a a group that meets uh, periodically. This is a common theme that's in their concern.
0: Well, if you're at the receiving end, you tend to develop that sort of sensitivity. I've been convinced at times that at the airports they've got a a standing order to be suspicious of superannuated old Jewish professors.
1: They—they <laughs> they make me take my shoes off all the time. I had to take my shoes off.
0: Yeah, a uh, gentleman. We pause in just a moment uh, for a round of commercials, and then on to the phones. As we continue our seminar on counterterrorism operations, with Rob Grant of the FBI, agent in charge of the Chicago office, Pat Daly, former FBI agent, now the man in charge of security and safety for the CTA system and Earl Zelke, uh, Deputy Director of the Chicago Office of Emergency Management and Communications. You are on the air, good evening.
4: Oh, good evening, thank you very much. Um, I was just calling because I, I, I my, my question deals with the real need for any of this that we're talking about. I'm not uh, some kook that believes that terrorism doesn't happen and terrorism couldn't happen to the city of Chicago. But in truth, as I explained to your t- producer 9-11 was six years ago and there hasn't been a year in those six years that uh, we haven't had at least six to seven hundred people murdered in the city of Chicago so while we lost 3,000 people
3: Mm
4: -hmm. at 9-11 we've lost 3,600 to 4,000 people in the city of Chicago if these methods and steps were actually useful Uh, some of this crime would be going down. But I'm seeing, like, in the newspaper today, in the Chicago Tribune today, uh, if you buy a new car, uh, it's reported to Homeland Security because there's 262 people that they don't want buying new cars for Homeland Security. I mean, because I guess they think new cars could go out and do things. And that, yes, people would buy, a, a terrorist could buy a new car and put it full of something and kill, but... I'm more likely and you're more likely to be hurt by some little punk drug dealer on the south or west side that these, you know, how are they getting these drugs in if we've sealed our borders? How are they doing these Mm
0: -hmm. things? You've made a very good point. Let me turn that to a police department veteran, Earl Zilke. You
3: you know, I don't (coughs) think that we're ignoring one at the expense of the other. Um, I know Superintendent Klein has made his focus of his tenure in the police department to combat Guns, gangs, and drugs. And um, from my recollection, the the, uh, the the murder rate that you mentioned has been declining in Chicago substantially, you know, over over a great number of years. So okay. I, I don't think we're sacrificing one for the other.
4: But we still have. A, but the but my point is that terrorism, uh, you know, with the exception of 9/11, and uh, you know, you used to, or not you personally. I'm sorry. I don't want to accuse anybody. Uh, But you guys use the example of Muslim terrorism, uh, radical Muslim terrorism. In our United States, we've been, uh, in Oklahoma, it was a Catholic that blew up that building. Uh, In Atlanta, it was a Baptist uh, in the name of abortion that that blew off a couple bombs. And, of course, in Montana and Idaho, we have the similar situations with the people believing their little whack-off theories up there. Uh, so we have terrorism on the right and the left in the United States, and I do acknowledge it happened.
3: You're right. You're right. Okay,
4: but in truth, in the city of Chicago, and the, uh, the, the Puerto Rican group you referred to earlier in the show, the FLAN, killed five, six people blowing off bombs in the 80s, but... I'm still, once again, more likely to be killed by one of these punk street gangs. I've been jumped by these street gangs. Yeah, well,
0: gangs. sir, I guess the, it hangs on this question, whether it's a zero-sum game for every additional amount of surveillance or uh, of uh, personnel activity that you put into counterterrorism. Does that diminish the amount that's uh, of people and talent that's addressed directly to ordinary crime?
1: No, I th- <clears throat> the caller makes a good point because we've talked about this uh, with our director and that uh, the emphasis from the White House uh... has been on the war on terror and uh... in the inside the fbi it's been on the war on terror uh, but the reality is uh, day to day you're more likely to, to die at the hands of a, a, a gang member uh... than you are a terrorist based on the last five years
0: that's what the caller is saying
1: however however I'll, I'll, I'll point out this uh... we were first attacked physically in nineteen ninety three when the first attempt to bring down the world trade center occurred there were several subsequent attacks uh, all muslim extremists all directed at american servicemen american institutions embassies, um, and it uh, culminated in the attacks on 9-11. So I would not diminish the the threat that is posed by the Islamic radicalization process.
0: By the way, isn't there also a certain connection between crime and uh, and terrorist operations in that they often depend upon drug smuggling and yet other sources of illegitimate income to fund their operations?
1: Some of our, although we have a certain cadre of uh, of people on the JTTF working uh, strictly terrorism, uh, efforts. We also work a lot of organized crime, gang crimes, uh, with the Chicago Police Department, with the Little State Police, and in there you find traces and leads mm-hmm. to terrorism organizations. Uh, terrorists raise money by whatever means they can possibly raise money, whether whether it's by a direct donation, you know, we want we want money, or an indirect charitable donation, or by criminal enterprises.
0: Is there any legitimacy to the complaint that one of the things that l- leaves us wide open for terrorism is our very so supposedly porous border in the south that a lot of the ille- illegal entry into this country uh, or that among those illegal ent- uh, uh, entrants may be terrorists disguised as mere mexican peasants
1: well sure if, if you don't know who's coming across your border that represents a vulnerability without without a doubt whether it's the north border uh, with canada which is also very porous or the that south true, borders, yeah. uh, drugs is a scourge um, uh, in my 24 years in the fbi i've seen drugs infiltrate every corner of every community from the poor <laughs> communities, to the rich communities, and uh, um, most of that emanates across our southern border. Um, how you how you defend against that, I don't know, except to say uh, the economy of Mexico, uh, it, it, if, it, and I used to work along the southwest border, you look at the standard of living that the average American has on the southwest border right across the Rio Grande River, the standard of living that a, that a Mexican is supposed to have under NAFTA, and you see them living in corrugated shacks with dirt roads. Now, would I want to live in that? No. So I'm going to cross the border and come into the United States. So. I understand that. To me, the solution isn't just a a border fence, the solution is fixing the economy of Mexico, fixing the the democratic process in Mexico.
0: But a little bit tighter uh, surveillance of the border and tighter immigration controls wouldn't hurt.
2: We should know who's coming in our country. I should think so. One one thing I'd like to point out to the caller and the listeners is that um, as we harden our targets against terrorists, we also harden ourselves against uh, being victims of crime. For example, in the Chicago Transit Authority, we've put cameras on every bus. We've, uh, we're putting cameras in our rail stations. And, yes, it serves as a deterrent to, to terrorism, but it also serves as a deterrent to uh, to street crime. And we ask our, our customers, if you see something, say something. If you see something suspicious, and it's geared towards terrorism, but certainly we ask them to say mm-hmm tell us if they see something suspicious which is uh, crime related as well and, and I'll follow up on on that
3: uh, additionally going back to my comment earlier about our operation virtual shield you know throughout the city of Chicago that those the cameras that I made mention to you know are served multiple purposes they can be used for crime surveillance just as easily as they can be used for you know for terrorist activity and and I'll, I'll, we have uh, uh, personnel that monitor a lot of these uh, they call them pod cameras in high crime areas, and we've had a number of, a, a very many number of instances where they've actually been able to, you know, to catch people, you know, perpetrating a crime, you know, check back in the, on the video uh, uh, images, and that resulted in, in the arrest. Some of the cameras are actually uh, monitor, and they're, they're equipped to be able to detect a gunshot. And when a gunshot goes off, they they will the camera will go on to that location. So my my point is that those cameras serve multiple purposes, and in in, in addition to you know terrorist issues, they can very much definitely impact crime issues.
0: Uh, we are going to pause right now, and uh, get a quick update on the news, some commercials, and then back to your calls and to the email. And we return directly to the phones for your calls to Pat Daly, Earl Zelke, and Rob Grant. You are on the air. Good evening
5: very good milk milk god bless you you're such a good friend and uh you, you're going to be a hard act to follow yourself I, I wish they would nationally syndicate you so uh you could get wider we percentage.
0: couldn't do this bro it was nationally syndicated it would turn into something quite different go yeah, ahead sir
5: that's true at any rate at any rate i will qualify this for your fbi fellows um, i have a cousin former fbi now in charge of missouri emergency management and I know him quite well. He was a scoutmaster, and I was his assistant in the 90s. I had to cover for him as he ran all over North Missouri looking for posse comitatus and privately expressed to me some frustration in, in the Reno Justice Department, essentially, um, well, let's say steering them. Uh, this is the time frame that Muhammad Adda is in class on a Pell Grant learning how to fly planes. And uh, there are other threats, and my pointed question to these guys are, do you now feel, after going through this last experience, do you now feel that the gloves are off and you are free, or let's say unencumbered by political agenda, to pursue threats where they might be, irregardless? That's an important question for us.
1: Well, I think we have a lot of improvements uh, since 9-11, um, although there are some detractors of, say, the uh, the Patriot Act. I'm a big defender of the Patriot Act because I felt like in a moment of clarity, Congress uh, set aside uh, political interference and looked at the tools that we had to fight terrorism and looked at the law and realized not only was the law not up to date with technology, uh, which it was not, uh, but there were tools to investigate Healthcare fraud and uh, drug smugglers that we couldn't use to investigate terrorists. So I think, in that regard, we've, we, the tools we have at our at our um, in our toolbox are a lot better than they were. Uh, but again, we still operate under the Constitution uh, right. inside the United States. There, there, we still live under under laws and regulations. So,
5: as you must. But what I'm, what I, my my question is, is there. Do you feel uh, 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 any political overshadowment that would steer you away from what may be threats? Do you feel free to pursue them where they might be?
1: Yes, I th- I think as so long as we've properly predicated it under the guidelines, uh, there's never been any inf- interference uh, that I can I can see. And even even in the Reno Justice Department, when we talked about the policy commentatus, if you remember, we yeah. had some. Domestic groups here that were uh, qu- quite threatening, and uh, what the FBI and and local law enforcement did back then was to engage these groups, because their fear was that we were taking away uh, certain freedoms, uh, and they were operating under the guise that freedoms were be taken away, and that engagement actually proved quite effective in neutralizing those guys. Yeah, uh, in 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 explaining what we do and why we do it, as opposed to. Uh, coming in the dark at night and taking people away, uh, laying out what the law was and, and why we operated in, in our attempt to diffuse things.
0: Sir, we thank you for the call. God bless you. Time to roll along. Five nine one seven two double zero. you are on the air. Good evening.
6: Uh, good evening. Thank you. Um, if something does happen downtown or elsewhere, is there a way of alerting the public to stay away from that area?
3: Uh, <clears throat> yes, I, I, I can answer that. Um, if... I'm assuming that you're, I, I don't know, are you local to Chicago? Northside. Northside, okay. Then you sh- probably remember uh, we did an evacuation drill last September where we, we practiced uh, portions of our, the city's uh-huh. emergency uh, operations plan, and part of that involves uh, dissemination of information to, to those affected, and, and uh, our, our office has multiple means of notifying people and uh, businesses you know, of an affected area, giving them instructions and information about where to go or where not to go. By phone? By
6: telephone? uh,
3: Yes, we have the ability to do what we call reverse 911 notifications. So we can designate a geographical area and do reverse phone calls to every phone within that affected area to provide those people with information about what they should or should not do. In addition, we obviously can put messages out through the media. Um, uh, the police department has an uh, 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 in- internal notification system that they can utilize. So we have multiple means of notifying uh, people.
6: Oh, that's good. Thank you. And also, the alarm sometimes rings, I guess, from the fire stations. Is that what, whether that uh, every Tuesday or whatever? It is?
3: If you're talking about the uh, siren system throughout the city, we have 113 sirens throughout the city of Chicago. Their primary use is to notify people of an impending tornado and it just so happens that we're in the process of, of uh, compiling our information for our, our city of Chicago tornado preparedness week which will be in April but those sirens can be activated and what you're referring to is every Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock yes. we do a practice of all those sirens to make sure they're functional um, so that, that's yes we we can do that Oh, thank you we thank you ma'am for the call
0: glad to have heard from you let me read you an email I've got here. After I invite more telephone calls, we've now got some lines cleared. If you've been trying to reach us, do certainly make another quick try on five nine one seventy two hundred. Email. I've lived and worked downtown for four years, and I can't help but feel that Chicago is far less secure and prepared for a terrorist attack than New York, which I have visited several times since nine eleven. New York's police are far greater in number and much more visible. Is this a valid observation? It also seems to me that Chicago's appeal as a target is underrated by people on both coasts. I think it ranks a close second. Do your guests agree?
2: Well, of course, uh, New York, uh, their police department is probably uh, the most visible because they've devoted the funding for it and the, along with federal, the federal government, but they've also been the target of two al-Qaeda terrorist acts. So it's it's very natural that they have the need to uh, provide the visibility. However, Chicago uh, law enforcement on the federal, state, and local level is no less vigilant. And they're out there. They're doing their patrols every single day. And they may not be in uh, full riot gear, but they're certainly uh, responsive to any needs of the citizens. Chicago has taken a different
3: tact, and and the the tact that Chicago has decided was one of low visibility. And as Pat made reference to, you know, I know that there are you know high number of patrols, you know, that take place throughout the central business district in the city of Chicago. Um, it's just you don't see them as prevalent and as as obvious as you do in New York. Uh,
0: let me go to another email, which is rather challenging. As a teacher in the Chicago public schools, I'm wondering what, if any, emergency plans have been developed for evacuating children and staff from schools. I know other school systems have, quote, emergency packs for their staff, flashlights, astronaut food sufficient for an entire class, duct tape, cell phones, evacuation sites with regular practice drills. I've asked my principal what plans have been made, and I was met with a glassy-eyed stare. So I assume there are no plans. We have a large special ed population and have 12 buses carrying many of our students halfway across the city to get to school and home. Would the children be released to parents? Would everyone be expected to stay in the building? Has anyone stockpiled enough food and water for a school population? How would parents contact schools to find out about their children, etc.? And if there are CPS plans for such an emergency situation, why doesn't anyone know about them?
3: That's a good pack. Uh, it's that's a lot of uh, a lot of questions to be asking. and and unfortunately, i I don't have a lot of direct involvement with the Chicago Public school system. I do know that the Chicago Police Department actively has a, has a very active program called the School Violence Intervention Program. And they practice um, throughout the city of Chicago, conduct drills, you know, for Columbine-type incidents that take place. So I know the police department does have very specific procedures in place that they exercise frequently with and throughout the the Chicago public school system.
0: One does remember that in Chechnya, no, it's in Russia itself, but near Chechnya, there was a terrible incident a few years ago. Beslan. The Beslan incident in which uh, Chechnyan uh, guerrillas or terrorists, took over and commandeered a school, and a few hundred kids were killed, I think, before it was over.
1: Actually, they used the school to pre-deploy weapons during the summer recess uh, uh, and then used those caches to take over the school, uh, and um, uh, a horrific assault was made. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people died in that process.
0: Is it conceivable that something like that could happen in this country? Conceivable.
1: Everything is conceivable. That's the point. You have to think you know, if you think like a terrorist, you go nuts because uh, anything's possible. What's the value of worst-case analysis?
0: Um, assume the worst may happen and prepare for it so as to prevent it or as to accommodate or adjust to it if it does happen. Um, we are going to pause the last round of commercials and then directly back. And we return and directly back to your calls for our three specialists on counterterrorism who have joined us tonight. Earl Zolke, Deputy Director of the Chicago Office of Emergency Management and Communications, Pat Daly, Vice President uh, in the Chicago Transit Authority, where he specializes in security, safety, and control, and Rob Grant, who is the Special Agent in Charge of the Chicago Office of the FBI. And all three are, of course, fully involved in the Joint Terrorism Task Force and its operations. You are next on the air. Good evening.
4: Good evening, Milt. Thank you, and, and thank your guests for what I'm sure is your personal sacrifices to keep all of us safer as well. Uh, my question is, is this. I hear often um, partial justifications for the war in Iraq, and both from the highest levels in and, and our government, as well as on uh, you know right-wing radio shows, that we're fighting them there so we don't fight them here. And I'm my question to your guests is whether they think we're really any safer specifically because of our efforts in
0: Iraq.
3: I'll leave that one alone. I mean I'm truthfully, I'm here to try to provide uh, you know technical information uh, in regards to initiatives that Chicago has taken you know to you know, increase our safety and preparedness. But as far as political uh, uh, perspectives, and, and I, 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 I would, uh, Leave that one alone.
0: I wouldn't be surprised if that's the same answer we'll get from our <laughs> other two guests. <laughs> <laughs> but you're free to give us commentary otherwise, if I'd, you so so choose. I,
1: I, I would echo Earl's thoughts. I guess I would hold judgment on Iraq for another 10 years. If if a stable democracy actually develops in the Middle East, um, it may be something that could be a fortuitous you know turning of events. But if it doesn't, yeah. it could be the exact
0: let's, opposite. Let's see how well, Pat Daly rules himself out.
2: Well, we know that... Um, our intervention in Afghanistan disrupted the terrorist training camps in Al Qaeda and forced them to mm-hmm. flee and and reduce the coordination that they had with other terrorist fu- factions or, across the world. And I think we still are are circumspect in uh, our judgment about um, Iraq. We know our troops are fighting uh, gallantly, and we're the we're, they're trying to establish a democratic and safe presence uh, for the Iraqi people
0: but you know some of the best things that are said on this program are said during the commercial breaks in private conversation you were saying some things a few minutes ago while the commercials were on uh, Rob Grant which I found fascinating they have to do with the strategy of Al Qaeda how much of that do you want to share
1: <laughs> well al-, al Qaeda has has been principally focused on toppling the uh, Saudi royal family mm-hmm. and uh, by extension uh, also President Musharraf in Pakistan uh, the events of 9-11, uh, uh, the United States um, embraced any ally that would fight this war, so we got closer to the Saudi royal family. We got closer to President Musharraf, who uh, seized power in Pakistan and isn't the most beloved president in that country. Um, a large percentage of the population in Pakistan admires some of bin Laden. So, in effect, we've drawn ourselves closer to the very targets than bin Laden is trying to topple. Uh, so it puts us in a difficult position where we we embrace people who may not be embraced by their own populations.
0: And the strange additional fact in that whole complex pattern is that the Saudi royal family continues to fund b- with billions of dollars the Wahhabi uh, cult and the Wahhabist jihadist uh, madrasas around the world, including some located in the United States. I think all of that strengthening the hand of Al Qaeda.
1: I think the, uh, the war on terrorism isn't going to be won by military, it's not going to be won by the FBI or local law enforcement or the Department of State or trade. It's going to be a very sophisticated, orchestrated um, insight into all these very um, uh, swirling issues inside the Islamic world and applying them fairly. Um, I don't know that any one tool is going to be the tool that answers this puzzle, it's going to have to be a very comprehensive and sophisticated, almost like the Cold War, in terms of how we galvanize the world towards this effort in a long-term effort to overcome to tolerate, uh, the communist system and the Soviet um, uh, Union. So I think the same type of uh, long-term strategic planning uh, needs to take place in all sectors n- n- from private industry to the State Department to Department of Defense uh, to law enforcement but underlying all that has to be effective intelligence because policymakers cannot make effective decisions without good intelligence
0: and back to the phones for a few more quick calls here is the next hello you're on the air
1: yes good
6: evening Mel just a beautiful program is again again excuse me I hope I can get my thought across to your uh, guests. Uh, for one, I know, or I, I hope they know, the responsibility uh, and how we feel about having them taking care of us without us sounding like the silent uh, oh majority or being complacent. Uh, I trust them explicitly, of what, explicitly on what they're doing, behind, you know, behind us for us. And my family uh, was born and raised in Chicago, while we are. Uh, In the far southern suburbs, my daughter comes into the city every day using the CTA and the METRA. Uh, She's a court reporter, you know, and we use the facilities of the city without being afraid of anything. Uh, And we're not fatalists. We just know whatever is being done is being done for us. And I want to thank you all for doing it.
3: We appreciate that.
6: And I know you don't hear it that often because we are kind of quiet. And I will just hang up and leave you with that thought.
0: Well, we thank you, sir. Very nicely said, indeed. Thank you. Good night. Uh, But Here's a thought that might be a little bit more disturbing. Email. Your guest, I think it was Rob Grant, said that they are concerned about people taking pictures around rail yards. The Google search engine has satellite maps on their map service. I can clearly pull up railroad yards, the large airport, and oil storage facilities in detail. It would seem to me that the concern should be preventing the enemy from getting this detailed information, which is now available from the internet. Uh, but now that the genie is out of the bottle, paren satellite images and maps, close paren, is it worth safeguarding what we still have? No common sense rules are set forth on popular websites such as Google or YouTube as to what is acceptable for upload. Interesting point. Mm-hmm. Is it well taken? Is he is he correct he's, about? He's correct. The he's information correct. Those you, those
3: you know, yeah. those images give us all pause. Yeah. With the the amount of clarity and definition and what you can achieve
1: at those you know public accessible sites. It, so why it,
0: take pictures when Google has done the? It, it, it for gives you.
1: us all a great pause. Yeah. Well, it, there's no doubt that uh, uh, when we went into Afghanistan and disrupted the Al Qaeda e- efforts, there were photographs of U.S. institutions, uh, U.S. places that were on their targeting list. Why they chose not to hit those targets, we don't know. Google and those mapping systems that you see provided a much, a much more effective method by which they can, they can do surveillance. We had a special presentation on this about a year ago at the Anti-Terrorism Advisory Committee about the, the threat this poses to us that people can remotely actually surveil very high-profile and and critical structures in the United States virtually undetected off the internet.
0: Nor could anything be done to to
3: diminish that. But those images are this that they're images and they don't you know they don't give detailed information about you know procedures that are in place you know security yeah. measures that have been enacted you know measures that law enforcement and security have taken so that, that does give them information but it doesn't not provide uh, you know the entire picture. The um, various organizations, including I think the task
0: force, have offered some basic uh, advice and/or guidelines to ordinary citizens. What are the crucial items on that list? What do people need to know and remember?
2: Well, we've, um, both within the FBI and then in the law enforcement um, organizations in general, we're asking folks to be vigilant and to to, uh, provide us with information that would be of uh, assistance in preventing a terrorist attack. And uh, since 9-11, I think there's been special emphasis in that, and we've been successful from information received from um, private citizens.
3: You know, there are also, there are a number of uh, initiatives there in place from diff- different very government agencies. Uh, when I was still with the police department, I worked quite closely with the U.S. Coast Guard. And after September 11th, you know, there were a number of uh, programs initiated, one called uh, Harbor Watch, which, which asked people that are, you know, work in the marine environment to please, you know, uh, be aware of and report any suspicious activity. Um, the Illinois Trucking Association has a similar program for their truckers throughout the state of Illinois. That you know, asking them uh, if they if they see certain indicators or suspicious activity to alert authorities. Gentlemen, we are
0: just about out of time. I thank you most sincerely for joining us. It's been informative, and in some ways heartening, uh, though also, of course, it stirs anxieties about uh, what's out there, uh, still likely to come at us. But I am very glad that people like you are manning um, the uh, manning the uh, outposts. Um, or manning the stations uh, upon which we depend for effective security.